0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this Word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you I want to get into this message um, that God has um, stirred in my heart and, um, it's uh, a message which sits heavy today. Last night was a rough night for what I just kept tossing and turning. Didn't wasn't able to sleep much, and, but I, I believe that, that God wants to speak this word to the heart of his people. Today, we wanted to start a new series, and the series is titled, We Are Open. And the whole reason behind the title of this series is to prepare us for the 21st of June So on that Father's Day, as we reopen the doors for our church, I wanted us to take two weeks to the third week um, to the reopening, take time to talk about what does it mean that we're open and what does that look like. But then as we are fallen accustomed to in our land, things change rapidly, like we said last week. And I said, if I'm going to start with any kind of conversation today, in regards to we're open, I'm going to go ahead and skip whatever it was that I thought I was gonna share and share it in some time in the future. But what I wanna say is that we're open to dialogue and we're open to have a conversation. And sometimes it can be a conversation that people will run away from or that maybe we could just go ahead and preach a whole different message and just forget like it's really not happening in our world today. And one of the things that I've been saying, I said last week and I've said it in numerous conversations, is the difficulty of preaching in these last few weeks since really since this whole COVID stuff began, where you've had to find and be in the presence of the Lord and in the Word of God and preach from a deep place of where the Lord is really speaking, not necessarily just come up here and teach the Word of God with three points in a story, um, but to really hear what is it that God wants to speak to His people, amen? And, and today, what I felt so heavy is I want to speak to you about the God of diversity. And you should write that down. You should take notes as we do on Sundays and as we do when we open up the Word of God. I have a lot of scripture that I'm going to quote and give you. Um, and make sure you're ready to write all this down so that throughout the week you could spend some time studying it. But I think it's fitting to have this conversation, that we're open, and we're open to talk about this, diversity. And if we're going to talk about any kind of diversity, it has to start with the God of diversity. When you open up the pages of the Bible and you begin to read the Scripture and study the Scripture, you'll recognize how diverse God is himself in his very own nature. And I want to talk about that. So just join us for a moment and let's talk. And the church should always be open for a discussion. Whenever you get into a room, whether it's family, coworkers, and the topic is very hot, the topic is very controversial, or the topic can be something that you're not accustomed to speaking about, there is a moment deep down inside where your insides are in prayer. And you seek the Lord and say, is this something that you want me to speak on? Or do you want me to stay quiet for right now and just be a hearer? And, and, and this is kind of what I've had to do leading to today. Lord, what is it that you want us to speak on? And what is it that you want me to speak on? Not just stay silent. And, um, and, and I feel like God is really pushing us to do this. And that we should be open for this kind of discussion. Think about this. How else... Will we be able to share truth in a falsified world? The world is giving us so much data, so much information. And if you're aware of the times that we're in, we are recognizing that so much of it has been false information. So much of it has contradicted itself. So much of it is not or was not 100% true, which has left us here saying, whoa, so then what do we do going forward? And these are the moments where the sons and daughters of God need to know what Father is saying because man is saying so many different things. And I think that's so important for us going forward in everything that we do in our own lives and our walk with the Lord. We are truth bearers in a false world. And the problem in moments like these, you know, is that when, we don't, when, when people actually don't clearly explain themselves, um, they, they, they immediately get crucified, and, 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 and people don't like what they have to say, and, and, and here's an issue today in our land again, and, and we don't let people clearly explain themselves. Sometimes they have to just stop for a moment and, and really think about their thoughts, and what is it that they really feel, and what is it that they want to say, and sometimes we speak, we just saw that from a famous athlete who, who spoke something and immediately the next day had to, oh, I think what I meant was, and he had to apologize and correct himself. And those are teachable moments for us to to really weight our words and and really judge and, and think about what it is that we want to say and how should we say it. And sometimes individuals get crucified real quickly. And and that's what happens, and that's what we've been seeing. Their views are different than ours. We don't like it. We don't like you, and we come against them, man. Have I seen in social media that instead of bringing unity in such a cause like that we're in, all it's been doing is bringing forth division. We see this happening today. There are times that no matter how much you try, and many of you have been here, you won't penetrate the ignorance of man. So there may be a moment where the Lord will call you to retract from that conversation and maybe even retract from that person as a whole. And that's the truth. Proverbs 26:21 says this, a quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot hem- embers light charcoal and fire lights wood. And 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 that's kind of what we're seeing, you know, we're seeing people, not everyone, but so many people just taking on this platform and just fighting and bickering and finding any little thing that is different from their view and their belief. To, to really um, just bring forth hatred or bigotry or whatever it may be towards each other. And some, some of it, it has to be checked within and saying, how am I doing this? In the spirit of what? And we spoke about that last week, the spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ. And um, there is no greater time than the days that we're living in where the words of James have become so true, at least in my life, since I've been alive. And James 1:19 and 20 says, Know this, brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I have recognized that that scripture, since all of my living here on this land, this is where it's become. That passage, that scripture, that text, most evident most true in my life don't just speak just to speak regal but really hear really be educated really listen don't just say something to say because if wrath and anger comes out from that it will never produce the image and the righteousness and the goodness of Christ and of God in this land amen I want us to understand this going forward I just found out that in about an hour and a half right here A couple blocks from our church, there is a peaceful protest that's going to be happening. And I want to make sure that everyone that's part of our family, I need to address you right now in our family. Someone says, Well, when will you address people? I do. I address you every time I get together, and especially on Sundays. And I want to make sure that you understand that it's okay to be angry. Angry and anger, in a sense, is not a bad thing. It's okay to be angry. And that's a good note to write down, right? It's okay to be angry. And I know that many of you feel all sorts of emotions, especially the one of anger. But we must always, regardless of what the scenario is, we must be aware and careful never to act on your anger. Don't act out on your anger. You will learn that there's times when you're angry and you say something, you'll speak something. But you said it in your anger, but you'll soon come to understand that it's very hard to get those words back. And sometimes it's impossible to bring those words back. However, and to whoever you said it to, it will always remain there. Our words have the power, our tongue has the power to build up or to destroy, to light fires or to bring forth healing. Be very careful That you don't speak and act in your anger. Today, many are saying uh, very good things in their anger. I'm emphasizing that. And many are saying some really foolish things in their anger. Back to this verse. This verse is not saying it's wrong to be angry. It's saying not to have the anger of man. It says what? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So understand that the anger of God and the anger of man are two different things. Two different things. Each one is displayed differently. The anger of man demonstrates selfishness. Where the anger of God demonstrates selflessness. The anger of man leads to unrighteousness and ungodliness. The anger of God leads us to righteousness and godliness. The anger of man exposes the heart of man, where the anger of God exposes the heart of God. So we need to learn to examine ourselves, examine our hearts, examine our words. Learn to put weight on your words. Learn to not always have something to say Because if you always feel like you have something to say, that is a sign that you are a foolish person. Foolish people always need to and have to say something. But learn to say something when it's needed to be said. That is the sign of one who is wise. All over Proverbs, it speaks about the wise and the fool. It speaks about how we use our words even. Nowadays, we don't even confront each other with words. We confront each other through text on social media. And we think that that gives justice to what we want to do. No. How about having a meeting with one another? How about having a conversation with one another? How about we link with each other and see each other in our differences eye to eye and not necessarily just use the platform to divide everyone else that's going to read the comments, but instead, let's have a conversation before we ever put that so that eyes can see and read so that we would not destroy, but that if we maybe we get together, we could then find a solution to build. And that's what's happening. Be careful Immediately how you want to react to things, especially in the days that we are living in. People are very sensitive during this moment. People are very hurt during this moment and they have all the right to be, which you should also be as well. In Proverbs 29.20, I'm going to just go through three scriptures just in Proverbs, there's so many. In Proverbs 29.20, it says, there is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking in Proverbs thirteen three, it says whoever guards his mouth preserves his life keeps his life and he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin another script another um, translation says comes to destruction this is a person who keeps his mouth and guards it rather than someone that how this text says opens wide his lips someone that's always speaking eventually will lead themselves to ruin In Proverbs 10, verse 19, it says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. So when you read these passages and some of the texts and some other stuff that we're going to be visiting today, we're going to learn this to guard your mouth, to guard your actions, so that when we do speak, when we do take action, it will always produce the righteousness of God. What will always be seen from there is the heart of God, even if it's in his anger, even if it's righteous anger that comes out from you. This whole situation in which we're in, it's not just happening today. It's something that's been going on. It's been happening this is nothing new. What's happening is that things are getting caught now on camera. More frequently, things are being recorded. And, and we believe that something needs to be said and something has to be heard and something has to be done. But I will say this. If anything is going to be said, anything will be heard or done. It has to be the right thing. So we have to start by addressing the problem. And as much as we try to change man, and as much as we try to change laws, we could remove even man out of office if that's the desire of your heart. And we could put new laws on the land if that's the desire of our heart. And as much as we try to change the actions of people in this world, I want to make sure every single one of us understands this the root issue remains. And that is the conditions of the heart is rotten and it's polluted and sin in the lives of people still needs to be addressed. You can make laws, you can tell men what they can no longer be and as we are as racism, not that it has surfaced again, but as racism has been caught and racism is being spoken about and people are protesting and fighting for their voice and for what is right. Listen, you could force people even to no longer be racist, but if there's still sin in the heart, it doesn't matter what you pass. There still will remain racism because the heart is still sick and it needs transformation. And that's with all kinds of stuff. It's with everything and until this nation, until this world doesn't fall to their knees, repent and allow the holiness, sanctification work of Christ begin to do its work until we're not forgiven and the mind and the heart of God is not in us, we will never begin to understand the true nature of God. Because to begin to understand and speak about this word called diversity and this word called unity, we need to start with God. Because God is the originator. God is the one who formed this, created this, and God in himself is diverse and united. He is a united and diverse God, and we must start with him. If not, all conversations will eventually fall short. Because man is depraved. As much as man tries, if if sin is still in the forefront, pride will soon rise, selfishness will take notice yet again, and evil will surge once more. It doesn't matter because there's still sin in us. Think about how we've treated each other. Think about how we treated someone who's wronged us. Think about how we've treated someone who's spoken ill about us. Think about how we've treated someone who's done something towards our family. Think about all these things. These are things that we're talking about. These are the things that we need to take notice of. And we need to say, man, what is the heart of God in these matters? Not just about what you're watching right now in the news. Not just about the information you're getting on your smart devices. I'm talking about in every aspect of your life. How is the God of unity, this diverse God, bringing things together in your life and bringing people together in your life? In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul does something very important. And as he writes, he writes about unity. He writes about diversity. And he writes about this unity and diversity all found in one body. If you have not done so today, stand before a mirror. And notice that your whole body is not made up of one member. You're not one huge eyeball. You're not just one huge leg, one huge hand walking around. You are one body and your body itself speaks about God and speaks about creation. Your your whole body is made up of different members. Your whole body in itself is diverse. Each thing has its own unique quality and its own unique thing to do. Your eyes does what your nose can never do. As much as your nose says, I wish I could see the way the eye sees, the nose will always be the one who smells. And the eye will always be the one who sees when the ear says, I wish I could run the way the feet run, the ear will always be the one that hears. And the feet will be the one that always takes us to the place. It's, it's diversity within our very own body. Uniquely, each member of it, it's doing what God has created it to do. So, so this is so important for the human race that, that God didn't make a mistake when he was creating people. He didn't say, oh, Snap, I made that one too small. Oh, these kind of people are too tall. Or, whoa, I kind of messed up on the skin tone of this individual. It does not happen like that with God. Every single person is special. Every single person is created. Every single person is thought of. And every single person, as we learned last week, is given life because God gave them breath. Every single one. And in 1 Corinthians 12... He talks about Jews and Greeks, those who are slaves and those who are free. And regardless of whatever title you have here on earth, Paul says, in Christ you're all one. I know they consider you slave here, but when you come to Christ, that's not who you are. Jews and Greeks, free man and slave. And look what he says. 1 Corinthians 12.12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many. There are one body, so also is Christ. Think about that for a moment. Think about what he's saying there. He's he's giving you the picture of your body as I just described. But the reason why is because he doesn't want to necessarily talk about the human body. He wants you to see a picture of something that has a deeper recognition, and that is to point to Jesus. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And, and here is now the description. He says, Whether you are Jew or a Greek, whether you're slave or free, he says, All have been made to drink into one spirit. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying is that when man comes to Christ, something that we see clearly just in these two verses is that lines of separation, whether it's prejudice, racism, all these things, all of it is no more. It is erased and it is wiped out. We all drink from the one same spirit. It's not different. Oh, you're this or you drink from a different spirit. We are all united into one spirit. He says, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we've been made to drink into one spirit, one body, all of us together, and drinking into one spirit. We're all receiving from one spirit. Now, you read these verses, and we recognize that as we are now in Christ, we are one with him. And that which is hard to understand is this statement. Not only are we one with him, but in Christ, we are also one with each other. That's hard. It's difficult to understand that. I don't even think we've truly grasped the whole image and understanding of what that means. Something that I've said from this podium often was someone that I love to read about. It's Richard Wurmbrand. And Richard Wurmbrand is what you could call the founder of Voice of Martyrs. It's an organization that gives voice to those who are being martyred all over the world. Richard Wormbrand, in total, if I'm not mistaken, spent 18 years in prison in Romania. He spent two, two sentences of nine years. So he's gone to prison twice. To the point where he talks about um, doing lord's communion with the prisoners urine and feces because that's all they had he talks about that when there was just one piece of bread that was given to them to all the prisoners one piece just to make fun of them and to cause them to fight with one another it says that they would look and that they would sacrifice their hunger and their own lives to give it to the weaker of brethren so that they could have substance to push them to live just for another day and in his book, Torture for Christ, which I recommend everyone to read from Richard Wormbrand, he says something that till today has really um, moved my heart because I have I've not gone through what Richard Wormbrand has gone through and went through. So it's hard for me to understand what he says. And he has said in his own, it's written and it has been said by him that in many cases he has felt that he has fallen more in love with the bride of Christ than with Christ himself. Now you could hear that and say, that's blasphemous. How dare he say that? But you have to remember, he has suffered with the bride of Christ and has died and seen the bride of Christ be put to death because she won't recant Jesus. And that has caused him to fall so in love with the bride that sometimes he says, I feel like I love his bride at times more than even him. But you see, it's hard for us to understand that statement because we've never been to the place of being tortured every day and every moment. And his stories are, are for the strong to read. When he was able to get free, he had a, a choice to make. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to continue to preach knowing that, I could, that they're going to kill me or... I'm going to go back, I'm going to go to the United States. And he chose to come to the United States, but he did not come to the United States to choose to live. What he did was he says, "If if if I am going to go to the United States, I'm going to go for one purpose. I'm going to let those in the States know what's really happening to the church all over the world. And I'm going to be, his exact words, a voice for those who are martyred. And with that statement, he founded the voice of martyrs. And he went church into, from church to church in the United States preaching about what he went through and what many are going through and how many are perishing for the sake of Christ. It was so rough that in that time he would ask all the women and the little children to leave the sanctuary and leave only the men. And he would undo his shirt and he would show his back and his scars from the hot iron pokers and the holes, the scars that he still had all over his body. It was said that he would have to sit down when he preached because of the beatings under his foot. He couldn't stand for that long. It makes you understand why he said what he said about the church and about the bride and the love that he had for her. What do you see there? A true sense of unity. And I don't know if we really understand unity because someone just says one little thing because we're so knowledgeable or or because we have this other understanding and we immediately begin to cut at that person, not embrace each other, not, not really think about each other, not really consider that, wait a minute, maybe there's are difference, I could learn from it. Some of the most beautiful things that I've seen and have felt and have experienced with my eyes, my body, everything has been with the church. And yet some of the most ugliest, harshest, Ugliest things I've seen is also with the church. All that to said is what does it mean and what will it take for this bride, for this beloved to truly live into one body and drink into one spirit? Richard Wurmbrand found that, and he found it in persecution. This is so important because when Paul is writing these letters, he's writing it to a people like Richard Wurmbrand. Who are being tortured and persecuted. And he's reminding whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek, whether you were a free man or a slave, you're in one body now and you're drinking out of the same spirit now. That's powerful. It's powerful because we're one and with each other, we must understand this. We are one. Don't wait for persecution to come for us to finally live in oneness. Begin to be one with each other in this oneness, in this oneness filled with diversity. We now have what Paul says is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not only surrounds those who are one, but the Holy Spirit, according to Paul's letter here, dwells in us. We drink Him. When you drink something, what does it do? It goes in you. You're not just pouring the Holy Spirit on you, you're drinking, meaning it lives now inside of you. And what's beautiful about that is that, yes, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just don't surround, but you dwell. And the Spirit, when He dwells in us, He does not make distinction. He doesn't choose to dwell in a man according to their color, according to their ethnicity, their culture. It was through our salvation in Jesus Christ in which the Holy Spirit now becomes alive in us. And now our brothers and sisters come from all different parts of the world, whether it's Asia, Middle East, Europe, black, white, mixed. It's the oneness of God that makes it possible to live out in oneness with each other. Verse 20 says, but now indeed there are many members, but yet there is one body. We need to support each other, fight for one another, not find the things that are wrong or different or what may be a disapproval to us. He goes to say this. I'm going to keep reading. And in verse 22 all the way to 26, it says this. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. The parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with great care. I think about your lungs. And I think about your heart. Some of the weakest parts, you know, if we were to reach in and just squeeze your heart, you'd die. But yet, it's the most needed. And it's, it's, it's one of the most powerful parts of your body. Same thing with your brain. So what happened? He clothes it with the skull. He clothes it with the ribcage to, to protect it from harm. Because some of those body parts which seem the weakest and least important are actually the most. No one's going to check me out because of my heart. No one is going to look at me and find me attractive because they see how beautiful. Wow, look at the figure of his brain. So we take care of the things that people can see. But yet God has created us to guard us for the things that matter most. And it's the same thing with humans. It's the same thing with mankind. We can't look at someone and say, oh, they're this, so they're less than us. Oh, they're of this culture, so they're, oh, they're of that color, so they're less than us. And this is what Paul is saying to the church. Verse 23, he says, and the parts that we regard as less honorable, those we clothe with the greatest care, like the brain, like the heart, like the lungs. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. Can you imagine if your brain could just be seen? That's, it, it'll, it'll feel disgusting, right? No one wants to see your brain out of your head. No one wants to see your heart pumping outside of your chest. So because of that, it's not seen. But yet to the whole body, it is recognized as a vital member to the body. None of this would function. We sometimes praise this. But we forget that without this, this would never be able to function. Think about what that means for us, for each other, oneness. Think about what that means in diversity. Verse 24, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. If my finger breaks right now, the rest of my body says, I'm not going to scream and cry and shout. Who cares? That's the finger's problem. He broke himself. No, but because that finger is part of this whole body, the whole body cries out with this finger that just broke. That is why I'm very careful with what I post. That's why I want to make sure I'm judging my words correctly. That's why I want to make sure I have the heart and the spirit of Christ living inside of me. Because I have African-American brothers and sisters that are part of my body. That I know that anything that I say and can do could either bless them or harm them. So I choose to do what the word of God calls me to do. Because they are important. We are important. This body is important. Humanity is important. It's important to God. In this moment, it's people of color, and we're hearing that the people of color need to be treated differently. The people of color do not need to be treated differently. I'm so sorry to tell you that. People of color do not need, no one needs to be treated differently. I'm just letting you know that they need to be treated right. And we need to, be treat, we need to treat each other right. And that's the right thing. Many have always been treated differently. But what, really, what it really comes down to is it's time that as humanity we treat each other right. Right. Minorities need to be treated what? Right. So many things are being said. Things need to change is what is being said. We need to change. Things need to change. People are prejudiced and and racist. And and we could get into the differences of even those two things. But what needs to happen is all wrong needs to be made right. And outside of Christ and his word... I see it impossible for this to happen. Diversity is needed and needs to be honored and welcomed because God is the author and the maker of diversity. How do I know that? Because God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. In his very own nature, he is diverse, but yet remains one God. The Father doesn't say, son, shut up. I am greater than you, and in this platform, you can't speak. They each glorify one another. And he is able to make it happen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. Amen? There's only one God who exists. And within the nature of the one God are three distinct persons. That is the person of Father, person of Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. In God himself, there is unity in Diversity. How will we ever be one and united if we don't celebrate the diversity that he has created for us to be united in? But rather we continue to draw lines, lines of separation from each other, and in Christ there is no line to be drawn, only from sin and from holiness, from good and evil, from darkness and light. The Bible says he separated darkness and light Good and evil. If we are in Christ, if we are in Christ, there will be differences. There will be diversity. There will be different colors. There will be different ethnicity. There will be male and female and so on. But we're called to be one. And we won't find the answer for this nation. We won't find the answer for humanity outside of Christ and outside of the truth of his word. And Jesus does this perfectly in his demonstration with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. I don't want to get into that. We've preached that so much here. But let me just read uh, maybe four verses. John 4, 7 says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Already something that should stick out to you is a Jew asking a Samaritan for a drink. To get a drink from her, that means you have to drink from her vessel. It's almost like drinking from the same water fountain. That's equivalent to that. Where Jews and Samaritans would have different water fountains to drink from. You guys know where I'm going. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Does that sound like our world? So she says to Jesus. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Guys, that is so deep. See... When you read these three verses, what do you read? What are you understanding? What you should be getting is that Jesus wasn't just saving this woman, which is the most important thing, but he wasn't just saving her. He wasn't just touching her heart. He was going to do that. But his conversation was to do something else. He was doing away with something. He was doing away with an issue that if you study it, it goes back to 8th century B.C. From generation to generation, they've continued to live with such hatred. The Jews and the Samaritans it was already racial it was a bad conflict that these two people groups had the hatred the prejudice the racial friction between Jews and Samaritans was even here at an all-time high and what he was doing was he was bringing people groups together he was bringing different colors and cultures and backgrounds uniting them in his great love to fulfill the picture of heaven here on earth There is not sections in heaven. There is the glory of the Lord, and we're all going to live in it. In verse 10, when she asked, What are you even asking me, a Samaritan, to drink for? Jesus says in verse 10, If you only knew the gift of God that He has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So, So when you really get into verse 10 here... Jesus is going deep. He's saying, man, that which has separated us and that which has separated you and separated us from one another, that which has made us an enemy of each other, now I'm offering you to drink from this cup. And this cup that you are drinking from is a gift now that God is giving. It is a gift of God that he has For you. What is he doing? He's erasing the lines. He's breaking down the walls that have divided the Samaritans and the Jews for so long. What Jesus is saying is, Come and drink from my cup. And what does he tell her? He says, And you'll see that you'll never thirst again. What is he saying? You'll never drink from another source again. You'll always drink from the fountain of this Jew. (laughs) To a Samaritan, that's an eye opening. To a Samaritan, that's threatening. To a Samaritan, how dare you say that to me? But he's breaking down walls. And why is Jesus doing that? Because he's going to go and sit at the right hand of the Father. And what's going to happen when he sits at the right hand of the Father? He tells the disciples, wait for me in Jerusalem because the helper is coming. Who is it? The Holy Spirit is now coming to dwell in man. And remember when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in man? Something that we see immediately is, hey, salvation, it's not just for you guys hanging out in Jerusalem. Watch this. I'm going to go visit Cornelius. And the Gentiles are now going to come and start receiving salvation. I want you to remember when the Holy Spirit begins to fill the Gentiles. It starts with the vision that is given to Peter. In Acts chapter 10 verse 9, I'm going to summarize some of it. I'm going to skip a lot because it's a a lot of information in this passage. It says that Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. He was hungry. And while a meal was being prepared he fell into a trance. He received the vision. Verse 11, he saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not cause something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Man, we've gone over this, talked about resurrection in this. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. And Peter is about to recognize what this vision meant, what this trance meant. Because he gets a knock at the door and there's these gentlemen that says, hey, we're looking for Peter. And he says, it's me. And he says, come on, there's someone that's asking for you. And he goes with these men to the house of a man called Cornelius. And as Peter is led by the Holy Spirit to Cornelius' house, you need to understand that Cornelius is actually a very powerful man. He's a Roman officer, a man with authority. He invites Peter into his house, and now what do you have in this house? Think about this for a moment. You have a mix of people. You have Jews that Peter's traveling with, and you got a bunch of Gentiles and Romans that Peter's going to start preaching to. The household is a mixed house right now. And as Peter begins to preach Jesus to the Gentiles that are in that house, what is the result of Peter preaching Jesus? Let's keep reading. I'm skipping a lot. Forgive me. Verse 44 says this. While Peter was still speaking the words, he started to preach the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who heard the word and those of the circumcision Jews who believed were astonished as many as came to Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to the Gentiles also. So the Jews were in shock that now the Gentiles are also receiving Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Verse 47. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Who've received the Holy Spirit just as us Jews have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days. What happened here? Your baptism is a declaration of a unity now that you have professed and that you have confessed yourself into. You, now Gentiles and Jews, were are a part of one family, one race. We're, we're part of the race of God. What is happening here in Acts 10? What's happening is no more division. No more classes and races. All the ones in this room are seen as sons and daughters of God through and in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and, and you know, the truth is that we could go passage after passage. This stuff has always been, you know, that Egypt Pharaoh one day looked and he says, those Hebrew people are becoming mightier than us. We should treat them harshly. We should, we should do away with them. And, 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 and the, even the Hebrew people, we, we see that even they have gone through it from, from the days of Pharaoh and the days of Egypt when they were being abused and beaten to the point where the Lord had to free them from Egypt and to give them the land of Canaan. I mean, it, it's always been there, this division, this, this differences. that's fight because you don't look like me. You don't sound like me. You don't, you, your culture is different than mine. But when we come to Christ, it's, he's breaking all that passage after passage. It proves and it shows us these things, that the nature of our God and the gospel itself, it's always and it will always be about unity. It's about the diversity of God, the diversity of his creation coming together in oneness. Only through Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to get ready to close. In John chapter 17. And then I'm going to read another passage in Revelation 7. And we'll pray. Give you some announcements. And we're out of of your way. But in John 17. Jesus is towards the end of his life. And he's praying. And as he's in prayer. He prays this. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe me through their word. Verse 21, John 17, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I, remember he's talking to the Father, in you. Think about what Jesus is praying here. That they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. What is one of the occurrences in which the world would believe that he sent Jesus through unity? If it wasn't for unity, they'll never believe that you sent me. I heard someone say that because the, I think it might have been Richard Wormbrand, that there is no true evidence that the gospel and that Jesus Christ is truth and that he is God other than man would be willing to lay down their life for his name. Because many will recant in something that is false to save their lives. But those that are in Christ are willing to give their lives so that they will not deny the name of Jesus Christ. And because of that, it has proven to be true that man is willing to do that. What is Jesus saying in unity? He's at the end of his life and he's praying to the Father. The Son is praying to the Father. Let me say it this way to really get your mind in a wacky place. God the Son is praying to God the Father. Two distinct and different persons yet make up this one God. And what he says to the Father is I do not pray for these alone. The followers that were there with him now. But I'm also praying for the ones who are going to believe in me because of their word. Because of what they're going to do once I go. Many will come to the fold. Think about that. That they may be one. So I'm going to be with you now. But, but help them because they're going to share the word with them. And when they come into this fold, as that gets larger now, help the fold that's getting larger. Help them become one, Lord. Father, help them be one. And what does he say? Well, well, how? How should we be one? Look what Jesus says. That they may be one, Father, as you and me. As we are one. Have you thought about this for a moment? Are you one with each other in the manner in which Jesus and the Father are one? That's, That's scripture. That's biblical. So how should my oneness with my brother look like? How should my oneness with my sister look like? It should look like the oneness between God the Son and God the Father. If not, this text is wrong. This scripture is an error. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So right now this has nothing to do With us, this has to do with them, that they would be one as this image is. So, what is this image on earth doing? The image on earth is proclaiming the image of heaven. That they may be one in us. And that the world will believe that you sent me. How would they come to the cross? How are they going to come to the feet of Jesus if they see oneness? A divided and a broken people will cause what? People to walk away from the Lord. But a united even in the midst of turmoil. This is why we're opening the doors. We need to open the doors because more than ever we need to focus on being united. Because what's happening is... Everything that is being told, everything that is being said, everything that is being spoken through our sets and through the news and through the outlet of media is to divide ourselves, to separate ourselves, to distance ourselves. And Jesus says, let them be one. We're going to open the doors because we need to focus on our unity. We need to stress that. We need to fight for that. We need to fight for that so that they could believe. How will they ever believe? Not if we're divided, not if we're separated, not if we're distant. They're going to believe it when they see, wow, that church, those people group, they've never been shook. They've never been ripped by their core. They've remained rooted in their source, in Jesus. There must be something true. Let's run to the feet of the one that they run to. And he will unite people group. But the answer is not the man that sits in the house that is white. The answer is not in a political party. The answer is not in more laws. The answer is not in funding or defunding the police. The answer is in Jesus Christ alone. This prayer... That he is praying is not for one people group. It's for the whole. It's it's that all people would be one. And you might be hearing this, that's impossible. No. If you said that, you don't know the God that I know. Because in him, it's very possible. As Christ and the Father are one, his design was for the church his bride to be a testimony, a demonstration to this earth of what God is like, what heaven is like. That in Christ there is no line of separation. In Christ there is oneness. There is revelation of his image, revelation of heaven on earth. Why do you think the enemy wants to divide us? Why do you think the enemy wants to divide your homes? Why do you think he wants to divide our friendships? Why do you think he wants to divide this church and those churches and the church? The enemy wants to divide everything that is coming out is the word division. They just publicize it very carefully. They say it carefully, but it's division. It's to divide. It's to divide because a divided people of faith will never declare heaven on earth and demonstrate heaven on earth and demonstrate and show the image of Christ on earth. It is a united people. So what happens? Your household gets divided. The church begins to divide it. And have you noticed? People go with the dividers. People start to flock. People are haywire. They don't know where to go. Why? Because that's the source. That's what the enemy does. He comes to bring that friction so that people can lose the unity and the beauty of what it is to be one together. In him this is the God of diversity the answer to the world is the God of diversity and until the people in power don't recognize it nothing will ever change listen I am so happy to see people are lifting up their voices I am so sick of the ones who are doing it wrong doing it to cause more hatred that's not God That's not for the cause. The people that are breaking things, whether it's breaking someone's heart or whether it's breaking someone's windows, that's not God. That's not God. But the ones that are going out and that are making their voice heard, good for them, man. Good, good. We should do that. We have a voice. Congratulations on that. Job well done. We said last week, everything done in wisdom. I want to end with this because I don't want to get into a a deeper place because it's very easy to do that. But at the end of it all, the book of Revelation, I ended with that last week, but it's a different passage this week. I think I ended with Revelation 20 last week. Today I'm going to end with Revelation 7. And what I see in Revelation 7 is really alarming it's really beautiful to the ears and to the eyes as I read it he says this I'm going to pick up on verse 9 he says after these things I looked and behold please catch this see if you get what I'm getting there was a great multitude which no one could number so it was a sea of people and now watch what he says next. So who was the sea of people? Here they are. They were of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And they were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And they were all crying out in unison. They were saying, Salvation Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. <laughs> what is Revelation 7 showing us? When he sees the picture of the throne and he sees the glory, he saw every color under the sun, every people group, every culture, every tribe he calls them, every nation, every different language. And they were all doing something in unison. They were declaring the Lamb of God, who sits on his throne. Guys, the beginning of the book of Genesis shows us a God of unity. He's creating man in his image and in his likeness. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the diverse God, is doing a beautiful work in humanity. That's the beginning of the Bible. Towards the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, he brings everything to a close. He ends it the way he starts it. Here it is, all my creation made in my image and my likeness. How do they look like? Oh, different nations, different peoples, different tribes, different tongue, but they all have one thing in common. They're clothed in white robes, and they're declaring the name of Jesus Christ who sits on his throne. It's the God of diversity, and heaven is a perfect picture of it. What we saw a couple of weeks ago done to George Floyd was horrendous. It was not right. But from there, a lot of other wrongs have been done. You've made many more wrongs. We've made many more wrongs to try to make a right, and we're not going to get anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere by sticking a middle finger at a police officer that is there to make us safe. Because, yes, there are bad police officers. But I believe that for every one bad police officer, there's probably, what, ten great ones? And to, stay, and to stick the middle finger at them, that's not the way of answering the cause. That's not, that's not the way to hear, make our voice. We should mourn. We should get our voices. We should yell. And we should fight for this. But we should do it with the honor of God in our hearts. Because all of heaven is made of such. Let's keep reading. And All the angels stood around them. Verse 11. And around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne. And they worshiped God with all those other people groups. And they began to say, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Memorize the song because we're going to be singing it one day, dressed in white clothes. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Today we're speaking about the God of diversity. And he's the only answer to this world. I know that I have views that not everyone will. Agree with, and other people have views that I won't necessarily agree with all of them. But really, what is the Word of God telling us? What is Jesus asking of us during this time that we're living in? I pray that we would use this time as we shared last week, that we would use our time wisely, for we only have it for a little while. Amen? Come on, the God of diversity. I'm going to pray, but before I pray, I just pray that your heart would be full today, that you would receive the word of God and that you would be lifted up during this time. Some of you are hurt. Some of you are losing sleep. Some of you have a lot of pain. But you are the hope in hopelessness. You are light in darkness. You are truth in false. So stand up, rise to this occasion and be the people that God is calling Let's be the people that God has called us to be, amen? Find strength in that. The God of diversity, man, we're open for this. We're ready to go. We're open to show this God to this world who seems to have lost who God is and do not know who God is at all, amen? So let's do it. We're open, and we're open for such a time to demonstrate, to show off the God of diversity. Hallelujah. Guys, again, we just thank you. We welcome all of you for for every week. It's going to be exactly three months from when we close to our last service to when we open in two weeks. Three months that we have not opened our door. But in two weeks from now, the 21st, on Father's Day, what a gift to our Father. We're going to open up the doors and see each other and worship together again, united together again Go to our church Instagram. Go to our website. We have all the guidelines up. We're going to have masks and we're going to have solutions and we're going to be cleaning up and we're going to have some of the chairs spaced out to respect and to keep safe and to keep you healthy. But we want you to come back and we want to worship and see each other's faces again. So we're looking forward to that as we will have certain guidelines and the church will look a little different, but still... We're going to come and, and do what we've always done here before his presence. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you're ready for that. All the families, remember your kids have church. The link is up as soon as we say amen. And uh, just a reminder to stay connected. Stay connected to through our app. Um, all the things that are going on, whether it's hubs, women, men's prayer, all these things. Make sure that you see the dates and log on as we continue on Zoom to some of those um Um, more intimate settings like men and gatherings and women gatherings. Amen. As we close off in prayer, we pray that you give all of yourself to the Lord. We don't want to rob from the Lord at this time we pray. And remember, as we close off in prayer, Lord, we thank you because we also are able to give our tithes and our offering. And Lord, we know that when I get it, it all belongs to you. But what an honor it is to worship and give you honor even with a tithe. And even when it goes beyond the tithe, then I'm able to give an offering, whether it's back to the church or to someone. I pray that you will continue to bless every giver, that they will continue to see that you are the provider for their bread and for their water. And for those that don't see the truth and the revelation of what it means to give, that, Lord, that you would move them, move them to such giving. Lord God, that they would see the hand of God and the face of God in it. Thank you, Lord God, because we're going to reopen in two weeks. And it's made possible because our church has continued to give, though we have not continued to gather physically. And I thank you for every cheerful and faithful giver. Because of that, we, have, we still have AC running. We still have electricity running. We still have new things that, we wanna, that we're doing and we will do to continue to have church and do church together. So, Lord, we just pray that you will continue to bless our church, continue to move us to give. And Lord, for everyone who sat under this teaching, under this word, that it would move us and grow us, strengthen us, and that, Lord God, you would take us to a greater degree, Lord God, of unity. That we would recognize that in our diversity, there is such beauty in that. And teach us, Lord, with each other as a family, with those that are not part of the church family, teach us of what this looks like, creation. This is your creation. Let us love as you love. Let us treat others correctly, in a right fashion, in in a godly way. Let us live out in wisdom. Let us have the mind and the heart of Christ. We thank you. You are so good. You are so faithful. We honor you, Lord, today. Thank you for such a beautiful time. For everyone that tuned in, those that are going to tune in later, thank you. Touch their hearts. Touch the soil. And that this seed, that this word would land on good ground. We praise you. We thank you today in Jesus' name. And together we all say, amen. Come on, give God some praise right there where you're at, right there in your home, in your living room. Remember these three words. Don't ever forget them. Can't wait to see you in two weeks. Remember, you are loved. God bless you.